Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church with Pastor Jim Balzano. You know, last night we came to the marriage uh, night that we had downstairs, and I was walking downstairs. I saw John and Teresa pulling in, and Drew said to me that there was somebody putting candles on something, and he said, whose birthday is it? I said, I don't know. So I went out and, saw and I come back in. They were singing to me. I had, like, my birthday was Wednesday. I was moved on. Amen. I was moved on. You know, it's, it's an amazing thing. I've been here, uh, let's see, 17 years as your pastor. Hard to believe I started at 17, you know. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. All right. Amen. I want to, uh, by the way, I want those couple of minutes that Troy took, I want you to take account that those couple of minutes of the message time was Troy talk, took those, okay? Turn with me. I, I want to share with you, there was a thought went through my mind last week when Andre was here and we were having services and there was a, it was a thought that went through my mind that I thought, I'm going to preach that um, next week. It's a message of a portion of scripture that I have preached from before. It's been a while. But it's in 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5. I thought to myself that there are so many people who want or need God to do something in their life. How many need God to do something? Is there anything in your life that you need God to do? But they themselves are not willing to do something out of the ordinary to receive something out of the ordinary. Let me say it again that sometimes we're not willing to do something out of the ordinary in order to receive something out of the ordinary. How many, how many of you would like to, next month, lose 10 pounds? How many of you are willing to do something out of the ordinary? <laughs> there was a whole lot less hands went up. All right? Forget that, right? Now, if I could just sleep it off, that would be the way to do it. Amen? All right? God has extraordinary, unordinary moments planned for your life, but there are times in your life that you might be required to do something that is unconventional, something that is, doesn't make sense, or something out of your ordinary. How many of you know we like our ordinary? Hmm? Come on. How many of you like your ordinary? The challenge, there's times where it will challenge our processes, our thought processes, our theology, our doctrine, our dogma. It'll, it'll challenge our emotions. It'll challenge our senses. It'll challenge. My question is, I was reminded, how many of you ever saw the movie, The Untouchables? I forget when it came out a long time ago. Sean Connery, Kevin Costner. They, okay, uh, Sean, Kevin Costner was Elliot Ness, and, and you had... Um, I forget who played Al Capone. I think it was De Niro. And you had Sean Connery as this old Chicago police sergeant. How many of you ever saw that movie? Uh, and there was a part of that, uh, that in that movie where Connery, who was this old sergeant named Malone, was speaking with Ness in the church. And Connery says, you, want, you said you wanted to get Capone. Do you really want to get him? You see, what I'm saying is, what are you prepared to do? And Ness says, anything within the law. And then Malone said, and then what are you prepared to do? If you open the can on these worms, you must be prepared to go all the way because they're not going to give up the fight until one of you is dead. Ness said, I want to get Capone. I don't know how to do it. And Malone says, you want to know how to get Capone? They pull a knife, <laughs> you pull a gun. <laughs> he sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. And that's how you get Capone. 
Now, do you want to do that? Are you ready to do that? Do you want this deal? In other words, he says, what are you prepared to do? My question to you this morning is what are you prepared to do? Hmm? How many of you want something? How many are looking for something? How many, how many just forget about wanting something? How many of you would like to encounter more of God? How many want more of God? Not everybody does. But how many want to encounter him and want more of him and experience him more? Well, I'm going to take you to this portion of Scripture, 2 Kings chapter 5. And it begins with, you got a man who's got a problem. Anybody got a problem this morning? Not your spouse. Don't be looking at your spouse. All right. It begins, now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master. And he was highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. All right? So you got this great man, great warrior. He's got stature. He's got position. He's got success. And yet he's got a problem. He's got influence. He has wealth. He has notoriety. Despite of all, he had a problem. He was a leper. He had an infectious skin disease that he couldn't do anything about. It caused, would cause shame and humiliation and embarrassment. It was a mark upon his life. All right? Let me ask you a question. Here was a man who had something he couldn't solve and something he couldn't fix and something he couldn't do anything about. What is it that you can't solve or fix or resolve? What is it that you haven't been able to find a solution to? What is it that you haven't been able to overcome in your life? What is it that you have in front of you that you need a different result and you don't know how to get it? Anybody? Just a couple. The rest of you, go ahead, go home. Beat everybody to the buffet. But I want you to not equate it to just a problem. What I want to challenge you is it's more than just a problem. How many of you want more? God. Okay, so I want you to look at it in that paradigm as well. Here was a valiant warrior, but a suffering man. How many know sometimes the people you see in your life that look so strong, sometimes are suffering actually on the inside? How many have ever met people, they look so strong on the outside, but on the inside they're dying? He was honorable and repulsive at the same time because of this leprosy. He was victorious in battle, but had this defeat in life. He was a man of means, but a man without a cure. He was a man of stature, but a man brought low through disease. He was a man of authority, but was powerless in this part of his life. And so here he is. Imagine you're him. You have all this, but you can't get this one thing fixed that is with you everywhere you go. I mean, you're carrying leprosy everywhere you go. Can I say to you this morning, we're all carrying something with us almost everywhere we go. Some of us have carried insecurity from the time we were little kids. Some of us have carried the hurts and the wounds and the scars of a mom or a dad from the time we were little kids. Some of us have carried rejection and different things. You've been carrying it ever since. You've carried it into your marriage. You've carried it into your relationships. You've carried it into your church relationships. How many know that we have a tendency to carry that stuff with us? But can we do something about it? The truth is yes. And so he, he's this man. He's got a problem. He can't fix it. Now watch what the next verse tells us. Now the Arameans had gone out in the bands, and they had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. It's an amazing verse. All right, now you gotta understand, Aram was not Israel. They were actually enemies of Israel. There's a band that goes out from them, wreaks havoc, 
takes captive a little Jewish girl, brings her back to their land, and now she's serving in this man's household. I want you to capture this, okay? I want you to capture it. Why do I want you to capture it? How many of you this morning are part of the kingdom of God? If you're a believer in Jesus, you're all part of the kingdom of God. I'm going to say, I want you to catch this part. You, you have answers for those who may be your enemy. We have answers for this world system in which we live. Do you know we have answers? We have answers for the world in which we live. You have answers for those who may be your oppressor. She was a living, breathing, walking testimony of the power of God in a land that had taken her captive. We live in a worldly system. How many know we live in a Babylonian culture? How many know our citizenship is not of this world? How many know this is not our home? How many know this morning that we are first kingdom of God, second Americans? I got to say to you, even with all the stuff that's going on in the nation, you are the little slave girl who has an answer for what's going on in our world. Come on. Are you catching it? Good. Oh, boy. You have answers for those around you. You are living, walking, breathing testimony of God wherever you are. She knew where there was an answer for this man's problem. Listen to me. And that is why. Wherever you are, wherever you go, despite what's going on, that you would speak of the glory and power and majesty of your God no matter what is going on in your life. But that's hard sometimes, isn't it? Because life can get you down. Life can kick you. The system can kick you. And all of a sudden, you find yourself wanting to talk like those in the land. I want you to catch the picture. So this little girl looks at this man. He's got a problem. He's got leprosy. She knows about the power of her God. And she says to this mistress, man, he needs to get to the prophet in Israel. There's an answer. So Naaman becomes a man on the mission. How many, of you, how many of you today would travel to California today if you knew the answer to your problem was there? Come on. You would even leave early. If the answer to your problem was in California, you'd find a way to California today. If you knew with, uh, with certainty that that thing was fixed, if that situation to fix the son or daughter was in California, you'd go there. If that solution to the problem with your spouse or your parents or whoever it may be was in California, you would find it there. If your solution to your money problem was in California, you'd find a way there. Amen? So here's a man. He hears that there's hope. And this hope is in the prophet in Israel or in Samaria. And watch how he, so watch what happens. So Naaman goes in and tells his master, thus and thus spoke the little girl from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aaron said, go, and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. Isn't it funny how kings think other kings can solve the problem? Hmm? So funny. He didn't send it to the prophet. He sent it to the king. Anyhow, he departed and he took with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothes. Hmm. That was over, I saw somewhere where that was over a million dollars. Now get this. So here's a guy, has a problem, can't fix it. Little girl gives him hope. Here's it's over there. Goes to his master, gets a letter from his king, and takes with him over a million dollars to go find the solution to his problem. 
How many know most of us in here don't have a million dollars to fix our problem today? <laughs> right? And if you do, you should give it. <laughs> All right? Now watch. Now once you see this. So he goes with wealth. He goes with a letter of authority from the king. And he shows up. And he shows up to the other king who's like, this king's trying to pick a fight with me. Right? Now, pick it up and we'll get to a few points. He brought the letter to the king of Israel saying, and now as this letter comes to you, behold, I've sent Naaman my servant to you that you may cure him of his leprosy. Hmm. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of leprosy? But consider now and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes that he sent word to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. All right? Now get this. So now Naaman is going to Elisha's house to get his healing. And what does he do? He takes his horses. He takes his chariots. He takes everything he's brought. He shows up because, I mean, he's, on, he's just, how many know sometimes we come to God and we try to put on our best face? Anybody ever try to trick God? <laughs> Anybody ever try to trick God? I'm really holy today, God. No, you're not. I saw every thought you had yesterday. <laughs> right? I mean, we put on. Naaman shows up at Elisha's house like we show up at church sometimes. I got it all together. I got it all together. No, I did not fight with my wife on the way to church today. No. <laughs> Carson rode to church with me today. No matter what they tell you, Tony, we were not sitting in the foyer drinking orange juice and eating Skittles. Uh, <laughs> we, came to the, we came to the cafe. What do you want? You want this? Want this? She wanted Skittles. Okay, we're going to eat Skittles for breakfast. It's not true, Tony. It's not. <laughs> Guess who's coming to church with me next week? Tony. <laughs> All right, so he comes with silver. He comes with gold. He comes with cherries. He comes with, I'm an important man, and I can pay. Right? And he shows up. And Elisha's response, you've got to love this. Elisha, verse 10. <laughs> Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh will be restored to you, and you'll be clean. Wait, wait, wait. You mean you're not even going to come out and talk to me? You're not even going to acknowledge me personally? I have come all this way. I've got horses. I've got chariots. I've got money. I've got gold. I've got stuff. What's up with this response? Right? And Naaman comes looking to impress with horses and chariots. Elijah, Elijah sends a messenger. He came looking for an audience. He gets a messenger. He came looking for a magic word, because watch what happens. Naaman was furious and went away. He was furious at this response. Furious. And thought, he will, I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call in the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Anybody ever had a preconceived idea of how God was going to do something in your life? Anybody ever thought, this is how God's going to do it? And God didn't do it the way you thought he was going to do it. Hmm? He came looking for a magic word, and Elisha sent him away. He came looking for a magic touch, and Elisha sent him away. 
He had this preconceived idea. Naaman's response, he got angry and ticked off. Because listen to me, sometimes the answer you don't get will reveal what's in your heart. There are lots of times where stuff happens in your life, not the way that you thought it should happen and wanted it to happen, and it will reveal what's really in your heart. Because when things are going the way you want it to go, when things are going the way that you like it to go, when things are going according to your plan, our heart is good. But all of a sudden, let something happen that you don't like happen, and your jealousy rises up, and your anger rises up, and all of a sudden, you have resentment and bitterness in your heart, and it reveals it. This is what happens. When God doesn't perform the way that we want, how many have ever been tempted to be ticked off at God? Hmm? And so we withdraw and we get angry. He gets angry. But I'm going to show you something. I'm going to show you two words that he said. I thought. I thought. I thought. Everybody say, I thought. How many know what you think will direct your path? What you think will control your destiny. How you think determines the outcome. But here's the problem. The problem is we think with our mind, amen? But yet the Bible says that our mind is hostile at times to the things of God. Hmm. Our minds are more connected to our flesh than our spirit. Our minds are more connected to our flesh than our spirit. Our mind, Paul says, doesn't want to submit to the laws of God. All right, listen to me. Romans 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it. And so there's this battle that rages between our mind that sometimes aligns itself with the flesh that makes war against our spirit. And here's a man that had an idea, he had a preconceived idea, he had a thought process that couldn't accept what God was handing out. Have you ever had a thought process in your life that could not handle what God was handing you? I have. You, you, are, you, are, you, are you crazy? Half the things God asks us to do, I say, are you crazy? Because that makes no sense with my mind and what I got in my pocket. Just telling you. Romans chapter 12 tells us what? That we do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but now we're transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, we cannot always think the way we always thought and get what we think we need to get from God. Well, I couldn't say that again if I had to. (laughs) I have no idea what I just said. You see, his mind, Naaman's mind was his enemy. His thought process was his betrayer. His thought process lined, listen to me, his thoughts lined up more with his problem than his solution. I'm going to tell you something. Many of us in this room today have a thought process that lines up more with our problem than with our solution. There are times when our thinking lines up there more than it does with the solution to God. It makes more sense to us, right? Don't we like things that make sense? Sure we do. But then when it doesn't make sense to us, to our mind, we reject it as a solution. 
So here he is. He shows up. I need a miracle from God. I need God to touch my life. I got to show up, and Elisha the prophet is going to touch me. He's going to speak a word of me. He's going to come out there, and all of a sudden, Elisha says, hey, go, go, go tell that guy. Go tell him to wash in the Jordan River, and he'll be all right. It didn't line up. It didn't make sense. And because it didn't make sense, he rejected that as a solution. Come on, church. Have you ever had a time where what God told you didn't make sense and he didn't do it? And then there's the moments where God told you to do something that didn't make sense and you did it and all of a sudden it made sense. Right? I thought, I thought what you think may be the hindrance between the ordinary and the out of ordinary. What you think may be the obstacle between you and what God has for you. You indeed, like the rest of us, need a renewal of how you think. He thought it would be done a certain way, and when it wasn't, he rejected the way God wanted to do it. What he thought didn't match up with what God was saying, so he rejected what God was saying. Listen to me. I want to tell you a few things. I'm here today to tell you that for some of us, your mind is your enemy. Yes, the enemy is your enemy, but your mind has been betraying you. Your mind has been your enemy. It has caused you a stinking thinking. Everybody say, a stinking thinking. Or you got to say it with more attitude. Stinking thinking. This guy's good. You guys are way too dignified. You are, the, you are the name and showing up with the horse and the chariots and the money. And all of a sudden, pastor says, he wants me to say, stinking thinking. I can't do that. Fine. Miss out on the fun. Your mind is your enemy. For some, your tradition is your enemy. You'll never get more from God because your tradition won't allow you to get more from God. Ooh, ouch. Your history is your enemy. What people have done to you is your enemy because you can't get over it. You've given God a preconceived idea of what it looks like, and when he doesn't do it the way that you want, you walk away, disappointed, disillusioned, angry, saddened, etc. Not everything in my life has gone how I thought it should go. Just telling you. been a few things that I went and wrote into the script. You haven't received any more from God because you haven't given God any more to work with. I mean, you know, God will work with what you give him. I'm going to really meddle here in a moment, I think. You haven't given, received any more from God because you haven't given God anything different. If you can't get it in an hour or two on church on Sunday, then so be it. You haven't picked up a Bible. You haven't prayed. You haven't got into a place with God. You haven't got into a place of worship outside the church. And you're wondering why you don't have more with God. Uh-oh. Did he just step on my toes? Yeah, I did. But before I stepped on yours, I stepped on mine. Very rarely do I bring you a message that ain't stepped on me before it steps on you. We want more, but we're not willing to do more. We want more. If I can't get it on Sunday, we're not going to give. I'm not going to give anything else. I'm not going to give a Wednesday. I'm not going to give a Monday. I'm not going to give a Tuesday a special service. I'm not giving anything else. God, here's your moment. Here's your box. Do it now. And if you don't get it done by lunchtime, you're really out of luck. Sometimes... Some of the greatest things I've ever gotten from God were events where I've gone to and I've been sitting in the church at 10 o'clock at night with nothing other than what was going on up there. But my willingness to be in the atmosphere, my willingness to be doing something. Listen, there's times where I wanted to just go back to a hotel or go back somewhere or go home. But when I took the time to do the out of the ordinary, I got something out of the ordinary. 
Because you know why? We serve an out-of-the-ordinary God. Status quo has become the acceptable standard when God has so much more for us. Because how many know if you want more than status quo, you've got to do more than status quo? And, 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 and I'm not, listen to me, do not get the idea that, that, that I, I'm looking for something to play with up here. Troy's saying, dear God, don't touch any of that stuff. Like, you remember that, what's that, that, that commercial, that, that insurance commercial that has the guy with the fishing boat? Oh, I almost got it. You know that? You know what, anybody know what I'm talking about? Help me out here. Do you all watch TV? I know you all watch TV. Okay, the guy with the fishing pole with the dollar bill. You know what I'm talking about. Oh, you almost had it. That's not God. That's not what he's doing. Okay, he's not saying, well, I'm going to dangle this, and if you happen to catch it, that's not what he's doing. Okay, but, but, the Bible tells me that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's not about him playing, oh, if you just do enough. No, it has nothing to do with that. I mean, you know, God will do as much as you give him to work with. Hmm? You want more, but you don't want to give more. So Naaman walks away. I'm ticked. I can't believe that guy. I can't believe this is what he wants me to do. He wants me to go wash in that dirty, rotten, smelly Jordan River. See, there's two things that Naaman had. Don't miss this. There's two things that Naaman had from the prophet. He had a command and he had a promise. He had a command and he had a promise. Go wash in the Jordan and you will be restored. Go wash in the Jordan and you will become clean. Don't you love it when God gives a command and a promise? Hmm? All through scripture you see God doing that. Go wash and you will be clean. But because he didn't like the command, he was going to miss the promise. Many of us have missed the promise because we didn't like the command. Now, I'm going to meddle a little more. It's metal, metal Sunday. Many of us, and I'm just going to say it plainly, us, us, us. Everybody say us, which means me as well. Have at times in our life missed, and I'm going to talk about money for a moment. We have missed financial blessings Because God has given us a command on how to give, but we don't like the command. Therefore, we have missed the blessing that comes with it. And everybody said, oh, I was expecting ouch. (laughs) We want to give according to a thought process in our mind, not the word of God. We want to give with the thought processes of the world, not the economy of God. So we don't like the command, and then we seek for a way to justify breaking the command. Well, the Bible doesn't tell you this. The Bible doesn't say that. Oh, you don't pull that New Testament, Old Testament junk on me. You want to play that Old Testament tithe, New Testament tithe, I'll take you right out to the hallway. Here we go. Grace always demands giving more than law. Because how many know grace gave you more than the law could ever give you? You You want to give according to the law? But none of us want the judgment that came from the law. We want the judgment that flows from Calvary, and we want to give according to the law. Jesus talked about tithing. Paul talked about tithing. We'll get to that to another day. All I'm saying is because we don't like the command, we miss the blessing that's associated with the command. You want the, you want the promise that comes with the command? Obey the command. Whether it's money, whether it's all kinds of things. It's not just money. 
because he didn't like the manner of the miracle, he was going to miss the miracle. He had a command and a promise. But because he wouldn't do the one, he wasn't going to get the other. And then Naaman has something, he says, then he says this, and watch this. He said, I thought he would come out and do this and do that. And then in verse 12, and by the way, are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? The answer is no. <laughs> Why? Because God didn't tell him to go wash in Abana and Farpar. He told him to go wash in the Jordan. Just because what you think you have is better doesn't mean you can substitute the command of God. But, 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 uh, but uh, no, you don't have a better idea. <laughs> okay? Nothing you have, listen to me, nothing you have is better than what God is offering. Nothing you have is better than that which God, which has the blessing of God on it. Abana and Farpar may have been beautiful, clean rivers, but they're not better than a dirty river with the anointing of God on it and the blessing of God on it. Sometimes because in our mind, what we think God is telling us is inferior to what we think we have over here. We've got to get beyond that process. Nothing you have is better than that which has the blessing of God. Yet we better come to the conclusion that what you have is not better than what God is offering. Your plan is not better than God's plan. Have you ever tried to give God your plan in, in place of his plan? I do it all the time. If he would just ask me at the beginning, he would save us a lot of problems. Your stuff is not better than his stuff. We want to be made clean, we want him, but we want him to do it our way. I want it, but this is the way I want it. We want to be made well, but we want the man or woman of God to provide it for us. We want to be made whole and expect God to meet us where we are, not meet him where he is. God, let me just, like, there's just times, like, like there's times where God rewards. Uh, Naaman was honest. Uh, you got to understand, Naaman was on a journey of faith. Because, uh, listen to me, for him to leave his country, take the money, take the stuff, and go to the land of Israel to find the prophet, that is a step of faith. That's a journey of faith. But how many know every journey of faith has a crisis of faith on the way? And when he got there, he ran into a crisis of faith. And that crisis of faith was now, wait a minute, you mean you're going to do it this way? What do you mean I got to get out of my seat and come to the front of the church and get prayer? God, God do it here? Yeah, God can do it there. But maybe God don't want to do it there. Maybe God's looking for you to do something different. And I'll tell you why in just a moment. All right? But, but what do you mean? God, God can meet me in my house? Sure he can meet you in your house. Praise God for the bedroom encounters with God. Praise God for encounters in the car with God. Can't God heal me and do something without me doing anything? Yes. Is he? I don't know. Sometimes. I've seen that happen. I saw a guy take a guy to get healed at a Benny Hinn crusade. But instead of the guy who he took to get healed, the guy who took him got healed. <laughs> he wasn't there looking for anything. He got healed and the other guy didn't. How I many of that worked out just the way he planned it? Sometimes you can't get past what you know in order to encounter what you don't know. Remember I told you this before, Luke chapter 4 tells us about Jesus in Nazareth. 
And they couldn't get past the fact that he was Joseph's son. They knew him. They were so comfortable with him. They knew him. And because they knew him, they had little faith. All right? Nazareth was the place where they rejected him. All right? And, and, and when you look into the scripture, actually, Naaman and Syria would testify against that city. But that's another message for another day. You see, here's what happens. So watch this. And I'll get ready to close. Like another 30, 40 minutes. You guys didn't mind when Andre did it. He goes, oh, because y'all waiting for the prophetic word to come. <laughs> watch. So he goes away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him. Had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? Isn't it funny? If he had told you to do something great, like he had gave the million dollars to get the healing. But he told you to go wash in the Jordan seven times, and you won't do that. So he went down. He dipped himself seven times into the Jordan. According to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Hmm. When he returned to the man of God with all of his company and came and stood before him, he said, Behold, I now know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Hmm. Why did God choose to do it the way that he chose to do it? Why didn't he have Elisha lay his hand on him? Why didn't he just have Elisha speak a word and wave his hand and touch him and lay hands on him? Why couldn't he go to Abana and Farpar? Why was God being so weird? He just called God weird. God is weird. Have you read the Bible? God does weird stuff. <laughs> Some of you are not believing me. Read the Bible. God does weird stuff. How many know Jesus did weird stuff? Oh, you're blind? Oh, let me spit in the dirt and put some stuff in your, in your eye. How many know that's weird? That's just weird. Why? Why was, he, why was the plan so weird? Why was the plan so unconventional? Why? Because the greatest gift that Naaman received was not the healing. The greatest gift he received was the revelation of who God was. The greatest gift was the revelation of who God was. And it was not going to be confused with a man. And it was not going to be confused with the rivers of Damascus. And it was not going to be refused with anything or confused with anything man had to offer or the world had to offer. Many times we think the manifestation is greater than the revelation. The manifestation of God is never greater than the revelation of God. But we have, sometimes we get all fixated on manifestations, miracles, the prophetic, the gifts of the Spirit. Praise God for all of that. But how many know all those things are a revelation of who God is? When God performs a miracle, it's a manifestation of his power but it's also a revelation of his character and his nature and his identity and who he is. This man walked away with a revelation of who God was. There was no confusion of who God was in his life now. There was no confusion any longer that this is the God of all the earth. This is the God of Israel. Sometimes what we need is not a miracle, but we need a greater revelation of who God is. And sometimes we've got to be willing to do the out of the ordinary, the out of the routine, going beyond our imagination, going beyond our thought process and saying, what 
do I need to do to encounter this God in a way I never have before? Watch what happens. The greatest thing he walked away with was not restored flesh, but rather a renewed revelation of God. And then watch what he says. And he tries to give him money because, I mean, he's still trying to buy it. Can't buy it. Watch what he says, though. It's an interesting thing. Verse 17. Naaman said, if not, he said, let your servant be given two mules loaded with earth. How many think that's weird? Do you guys think anything's weird in the Bible? I just want to know. Anybody think something's weird here? Okay, I want two donkeys full of dirt. Two donkeys full of dirt is weird. <laughs> He's got, okay, I'm going to read it my way. You guys, I'm, I'm reading it too spiritual. Okay, so Naaman says, hey, let me tell you what. Give me two donkeys full of dirt, all right? Because I want to go back to church, and, and I don't want to go into the, 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 the temple of Rimon, and I don't want to, I, I just want to take this with me so I have holy ground to kneel on. Yeah, I'm reading it my way. In this matter, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Rimon to worship there and he leans on my hand and I bow myself to the house of Rimon. When I bow myself in the house of Rimon, that the Lord would pardon your servant. In other words, for all of my life, I have been going into this temple with my master and I have been bowing down to the gods of their land, but I can no longer do that like I used to do because I have come into an encounter with the God of Israel. How many know when you encounter Jesus, when you encounter God, you will not bow to the gods of the land any longer. It totally rocks your world. You'll not bow to wealth. You'll not bow to tradition. You'll not bow to religion. You'll not bow to the things of this world. You will look at those things differently. They will pale in comparison because I got a revelation of who this God is. His life was forever changed. He could not, listen to me, I so pray that God rocks your world that you can never worship the same again. That you're just a total messed up freak. <laughs> like Troy. That your revelation of him would be so blown away. That it changes your worship forever. That when you come into church, when you gather together with the saints, there's only one person to focus on. And it's not Pastor Jim. And it's not Pastor Troy. And it's not your babies and your grandbabies that you like to mess with the whole service. <laughs> Guilty. It's the one who's on the throne. It's the one who's on the throne that takes preeminence over everything. Come on, Troy. Naaman was a man who had to do the out of the ordinary in order to encounter the out of the ordinary. The miracle became a revelation of God that became the foundation of worship for Naaman. He would never bow to the idols of that land in the same manner again. It forever changed him. When you get a revelation of who, everything else pales in comparison. What do you want? What do you want? What are you prepared to do? Do you want, do you want more of God? Forget about your problem for a moment. Forget about the things you need fixed for a moment. 
do you just want to encounter more of God? What are you willing to do? What are you prepared to do? And I love how Malone did it in that movie. And then what are you prepared to do? Because how many know we, we, we hear that? What are you willing to do? And you give the, you give the religious answer. And then I say, then what are you ready to do? Then what are you prepared to do? Come on, man. Come on. Do something different to get something different. Do something different to see something different. Do something out of the ordinary. Let it stretch your mind. Change the way that you think. But I always read these scriptures and I read this story. And I always say, but God, where's the picture of Christ here? Let me know the Bible points to Christ. When you go to the Old Testament, it's pointing to Jesus. And I just thought about this. And I'll close with this. That's second closing. There's four. Here's Naaman, a man who has leprosy. It's an incurable problem. There's no cure for it outside of God. Leprosy in the Bible, much, much of the time, represents sin. How many know this morning that each of us were born with leprosy? How many know each of us had an incurable disease called sin? Every one of us had that disease. Every one of us have it. None of us can cure it. None of us have a solution for it. No man could cure it. No church could cure it. No religion could cure it. And yet it was interesting, as I was reading the scripture, Naaman had this incurable disease, but he heard about something. And his king, his master, his king wrote a letter on his behalf for him to find healing. His king probably put up that money that Naaman took with him, which was over a million dollars. He paid the price for him to find his healing from God. Come on, church. How many know this morning that we were born with an incurable disease called sin and our king on the throne wrote a check for our healing that if we'll cash it, we will be restored and we will be renewed. Don't you leave here today without knowing one thing. Your king made a way for your healing. Your king paid a price for your healing. Your king loves you enough and thinks of you enough to write your healing. That doesn't make you, yeah, it's amazing to me. Like I get so stoked that some of you can sleep through this. Praise God. <laughs> I might be boring, but God isn't. His king was willing to pay the price. His king was ready to write a letter so that his servant could be healed. You are Naaman. I was Naaman. My God wrote a check. My God wrote a check for my healing. My God wrote a letter in the blood of his son Jesus for my healing. If I have no other reason to worship and bow down, I got it for that. Every other problem in my life may never be fixed, may never be solved, but I got one problem was solved, and it was that thing called sin that had me going to a godless eternity that I got that thing that my God has provided. He wrote the check. He cashed the check. Guess what I got? I got the benefits of it. Father, this morning, you are challenging this church. You're challenging us this morning to be willing 
to get past our own thought processes and whatever else to do something that may be out of our ordinary so that we can encounter you who is extraordinary you who are certainly not ordinary you who are out of ordinary and Father I pray that we would accept the challenge that you lay before us that from this moment on that the rest of this year we would be people who would say I'm going to do the out of ordinary I'm going to get out of the routine I'm going to do it and get out of it and I know that I'm going to encounter God in a different way Because you want to do out of ordinary, extraordinary things in our lives. You want to do out of ordinary, extraordinary things in our city, in our region, in our state. There was a little girl that said, hey, Naaman, if you'll just do something out of the ordinary, you can go to Israel and you can encounter God and you can experience the out of ordinary. May we be that little girl in this land that ushers the out of ordinary into other people's lives. But Father, as I close, I must close in a fashion that speaks to each and every one of us that had one thing in common. There's a lot of things that separate us. There's a lot of things we don't have in common come from different homes we come from different family structures we come from different races we come from different classes but every one of us were born in sin every one of us had an incurable disease called sin every one of us had something that was destroying us that would lead to death every one of us and every one of us had a king who wrote a check who wrote a letter that said, I'll pay so they can find healing. You wrote that check with your son's blood. You wrote that letter with your son's blood. You sat on your throne and you said, I will give my son so they can be cured. Wow, you're a good God. Wow, you're a good God. And and so... I'm going to ask you this question. You have every head in this house bowed, every eyes closed, except mine. And it's going to be ask it this way. You were born in sin. You're born a sinner. God wrote a check. The check's wrote. He doesn't write it when you accept him. The check is wrote. The price has been paid on Calvary's cross. Already paid. And if you've never really said, you know what? I, I, want, I want to be the beneficiary of that transaction. I, I want to receive that. I want to receive the benefit of that. That I understand it was wrote for me. And yet I've never given my life to God. I've never said, you know what? I accept that. And the only way you can accept it is by faith. And, and so I'm, I'm going to ask it this way this morning. If you're here and you would say, I want to accept the payment that God made for my healing, raise your hand. I got one over there. I got one here. One there. Just keep them up. I I got hands all over the place.
I want you to know while your hands are raised how special you are. No more special than anybody else in the world. How special humanity is to God who wrote that check. So everybody stand with me this morning. Everybody stand. We're going to pray a prayer together. do a little different than maybe we sometimes do. We might say it like this. Let's repeat after me. Father, Father I, come to you I come to you because you're my king. I know you're my father, but today I recognize you as king. Lord of my life, Lord of my life. who loved me enough, loved me enough. to write a check in your son's blood to pay for my disease to pay for my sin a debt that I owed that I couldn't pay but I believe today that you paid it for me in your son's life and I accept it I accept his payment I don't provide my own payment like Naaman did. I don't provide my own payment like Naaman. But I accept the payment you made. I accept the payment you made. And today, and today I declare, I declare you are Lord of my life. You are Lord of my life. And from this day forward, from this day forward, I don't bow to the idols of the land anymore. I don't bow to the gods of this land anymore. Because you're my king. You're my king. And you're my God. My God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you prayed that for the first time. You're born again. Some of you have been saved, but you prayed that today, and it has a renewing. It has a different tone to it. That God is doing something inside of you. He's challenged you. He's pricked your heart today. That from this moment on, the unordinary, the the extraordinary moments are there because you're going to walk in a way that's out of the ordinary, out of the routine, out of the status quo. Father, I bless your people today. I bless them in the name of Jesus. I bless them in the one that you sent to heal us of our sin and our disease. I bless them today in the name of the king who sits on the throne. And Father, I would call us to the out of the ordinary. The out of the ordinary. Bless your people this week in Jesus' name. And all the out of ordinary people said, Amen. Have a great week.